The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Why don't you take your Bibles with me and uh, we'll turn to the book of First Peter. Uh, we're going to take a, a break from the book of, of Daniel as we start out this new year, uh, a new year of uh, uh, church ministry, and uh, we're grateful for uh, the ministry that the Lord has uh, granted uh, to us. Uh, this is a, a message just to uh, kind of set the trajectory for the, for the year and uh, what we have uh, coming uh, before us and uh, the ways that we're asking the Lord to, uh, uh, to use us in this, uh, this next year. So uh, if you would, uh, turn back to a text that we've covered before. It's First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4. And uh, we just want to talk about the gifts that the Lord has granted to us, the gifts that the Lord has granted to us. I think most of us would uh, say that the joy of, of giving far outweighs the joy of receiving, especially when the recipients of uh, those gifts appreciate the gifts that's, uh, that have been given to them, and uh, they're going to make use of those gifts. I remember sharing the story before that uh, not too long after Jennifer and I were, were married, uh, we were vacationing with the family in uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, and uh, we were about to eat breakfast in the morning, and one of our friends asked, you know, if we'd like a cup of coffee with our breakfast. And uh, this is before we went over to the dark side and started drinking coffee more regularly. Uh, so we said, no thanks, you know, we don't drink coffee. And uh, our friend replied, oh really, you don't drink coffee? Because you, you had a gift registry and you put a coffee maker on your gift registry and uh, we bought you a coffee maker for, for your wedding. Are, are you saying that you, you don't actually use our coffee maker that we, we bought you? And... Uh, we felt so embarrassed <laughs> because we had to explain to them that, uh, you know, we, we wanted a coffee maker because we wanted to, you know, host people and we know the people who come over like coffee. So we wanted a coffee maker for that purpose, but, uh, they weren't very encouraged to know that their coffee maker didn't even make its way out of the box yet <laughs> because we enjoy when people actually appreciate and use the gifts that we buy them, right? We enjoy that. And, uh, it feels, it feels bad to us when uh, we give a gift that somebody doesn't appreciate. It feels like it might have been a mistake. You know, that's why so many of us uh, put the receipts in the, in the packages that we give to people, you know, in the bag or whatever else. It's like, hey, if you don't like it, if you're not going to use it, you can bring it back. I actually heard that there was a statistic that uh, over a billion dollars worth of uh, uh, things that people have bought, you know, during the year uh, for Christmas are actually returned to the stores. Over a billion dollars worth of gifts go back to the stores to the point that some stores don't even want you to bring the gift back anymore. You know, it's just like too much trouble for us to restock it and try to resell it. Just, just keep the gift. But there's uh, over a billion dollars of gifts that are trying to be returned uh, to the stores. But again, we enjoy when people appreciate the gifts that we give them. But unlike a Christmas gift that might be able to be returned and get a refund for our spiritual gifts don't come with a receipt in the bag. We can't trade our gifts in. We won't be getting a refund for them. We actually have a stewardship for the gifts that the Lord has given us. There's an accountability 
for these gifts and a requirement and a responsibility for the gifts that we have from God. And what's more is that there's an expiration date on the gifts that you've been given. There's coming a a day when you won't be able to use those gifts. There's a certain measure of time that's been given to us. And as we begin this new year together, I want to remind us all as a congregation that we have a stewardship from God to use the gifts that we have, and we don't know how long we'll have to use them. Every one of us has a responsibility before the Lord to steward the gifts that he's given. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'll start at verse 7 for the sake of of context. We'll focus on verses 10 and 11, but I'll start at verse 7 just for the sake of context. Peter says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, so much for this text as we thank you for every text that we come across in your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, use these words, Lord, in our lives, Lord, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that we would be motivated to serve you faithfully and to use what you've given us for your glory. Uh, Father, I pray that the gifts that have been given to this church, Lord, uh, that they all would be used. Uh, Father, that we would be able to maximize all the, 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 the gifts, Lord, the resources that have been placed within this body. Father, I thank you for every member that you've given to our congregation, recognizing everyone as a gift from you. And Father, I pray that you would use me as a weak instrument, Lord, to be a blessing to your people today as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. There's a great urgency that's placed on the use of the gifts that we have here in First Peter chapter 4. And in the, the time that we have... I want to demonstrate before you that that these gifts have an expiration date. The phrase, the end is near, that we find in verse 7, the end of all things is near. It's used to speak about the eminence of God's judgment. It's the condition of something that could happen at any moment, something that is about to happen. And Peter is teaching us that the events of the Lord's return and his final judgment could happen at any moment. It's eminent. And the wickedness of this present world is actually calling for the judgment of God. And we don't know when that last judgment is about to fall. It's the, almost like the, the game Jenga where you, you pull out these different blocks and you stack them on top of one another. You don't know which block is going to be removed or which block is going to be placed that crumbles the whole tower. We don't know when that time is coming when the Lord says enough's enough. The judgment is about to fall upon this world. And what we find here in verse 7, he says, the end of all things is near. It's upon us. It could happen at any moment. It's imminent. And the whole tower is already shaking. And we see that all over the world that we live in. Romans chapter 13 and verse 12 says, the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Basically, he's saying you need to wake up. You need to understand the times that you're living in. And if that was true back when Peter wrote this, how much more true is it today? 
in the times that we're living in. The day is near, and what should we be busy doing? The text lets us know we should sober up for prayer. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The end of all things is, is near, and it's not a time for a silly Christianity. It's a time for a sober Christianity. We're a joyful people, but we're also a serious people about the truth, aren't we? And you see what's going on in the world around you. Are you discouraged by the world that's in rebellion, hardened to the message of the truth? Are you facing persecution for your faith? Are you feeling the the pressure of a world around you to conform uh, to ungodliness, to wickedness? What should you be doing? You should be sober for the purpose of prayer. I should be lifting up my prayers before the Lord because I understand the kind of world that I live in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. If all things are winding up, you need to wise up for the purpose of, of prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. He also lets us know that we're to, to cover up our brothers in love. In verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. The idea of, of fervency is communicated in this word, fervent in your love. It's a, a word, ektenes in the Greek used for something that's, that's stretched out to its extent, to its limit. We need to stretch ourselves in loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord. One commentator says this word is used for a, a muscle that's tight, the tight muscle of an athlete, a horse at full gallop, a, an instrument that's, that has a, a string that's pulled tight to yield a higher note. We need to strain ourselves, stretch ourselves out to have love for one another. It's an earnest, strenuous, physically taxing activity. We find that uh, Jesus, before his crucifixion, that he was in agony, and he was fervently praying, fervently. He strained himself in his prayers. His prayers became like, in in his prayers, uh, the sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was straining himself in his prayers. And the question that I have for us, is this the way that we love one another? Do we strain ourselves to love one another? Or is love for one another just something that, it's easy. You know, hardly have to think about it. No effort goes into the, the, the love that we have for one another. The Bible says we need to strain ourselves in love. And uh, one of the ways that we strain ourselves in, in love is that we cover a multitude of sins. And that doesn't mean that we ignore sins. And uh, Ephesians 5 and 11 says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So we're to expose sins to the extent that it's helpful for people we don't cover over somebody's sins and allow them to stay in their sinful condition. You know, Matthew 18 speaks about that, that you go to your brother one-on-one. If he fails to listen, you bring one or two others with you. If he fails to listen to those one or two other brothers, you even bring them to the church. So we do expose sins for the purpose of helping somebody, but we don't expose sins for the purpose of ridiculing somebody. That, that's not why we expose sins. We're not like uh, Noah's son, Ham, who ridiculed his father's nakedness and drunkenness and went to tell his other brothers about it. That's not what we do. We don't go out and publicize our sins, but we do seek to cover them up. If, if this is something that can be dealt with between you and me, let's deal with it right there. We don't have to go any further than this. We're, we're seeking to cover our brother's sins. We're not seeking to expose and ridicule our brothers in Christ. We're to strain ourselves to love them. And that's part of the way that we love. What else are we to do? We're to open our hearts and our homes in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. 
You know, today we use that word hospitality to talk about, you know, hosting family and friends, but that's not what the word hospitality meant. The word hospitality was a love of strangers, people who aren't like me, people who I don't really know, people who I'm not familiar with. You know, these are the people that I seek to give food and shelter to. That's what the the scripture speaks about. And it's really to love those who we consider our brothers. We have a a worldwide brotherhood. You know, those who call on the name of Christ are my brothers, my sisters. First Christians viewed themselves as part of this brotherhood that transcended national, racial, ethnic, social boundaries. That because of my relationship to Jesus Christ, that you're also my brother. That we're part of the same body. That's why the, the world should be able to look to the church to figure out how to get unity right. We shouldn't be, be looking to the world to try to figure it out, how to get along with people that are different from us. The world should be looking to the church and say, how do you guys do it? You know, black, white, rich, poor. I mean, you guys just get along with one another. You consider one another as family. How do you do that? We should be able to point them to the answer to that question in Jesus Christ. We're ready to open up our hearts and our homes to those that are of like faith. We have a, a true brotherhood. That should be true of us. And showing hospitality, which means, just as a practice, that when you come in here on Sunday morning, that one of the things that you do is you greet one another. You, you, don't, you don't let your brothers and sisters just kind of walk around right past you, sit next to you, and you never turn to them to say, hey, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Do you only connect with the people that look like you or in your same small group that you're already connecting with during the week? Or do you look to come in here on a Sunday and say, hey, let me see who I can encourage in the faith. Somebody who's, who's different, you know, kind of make your way, work your way around the, the congregation. That's one of the things that we can seek to do just to practice hospitality, even within our own congregation. We need to be seeking to do that. And we also, as we see that the day is drawing near, we need to use the gifts that the Lord has given us. Because again, there's an expiration date on the gifts that you have. Verse 10 again, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. And the main idea here is verses uh, 10 and 11, it's that word for employ. Employ it. Use it. Minister it. Serve with it. It's actually from the the Greek word diakoneo. It's a, a word that means to serve, to support, to minister. As a Christian, I should view my gifts as an opportunity to serve others. You've been given a gift for the purpose of others. It's it's not like you get a gift for your birthday, a gift for for Christmas, and that gift is just for you. The gift that you've been given by God is not for you. It's for everybody else. Your gift is for others. You need to make sure that you're you're using these gifts for the sake of of Christ and for the sake of, of others. Our gifts are meant to be a service to other people. We're to be at one another's service. And that's reinforced by this word, diakoneo. It's actually where we, uh, uh, we get the, from the root, we get our word deacon from that word. It's the position of, of that who served, that person who served. In Luke chapter 17, it was used of the position of a slave. In Luke 17, 7 and 8, it says, Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat? Properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. That, that word for, for serve is, you know, to wait on a table. It's the, the word diakoneo. I'm, I'm like a table waiter. I'm a servant. And that's the most frequent use of the word in Scripture. Those who attend on the needs of others. 
For example, it's used in Luke chapter 10 where Martha was distracted. Remember that? With all of her preparations. And she came to Christ and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Am I supposed to wait on all these tables? Lord, go tell my sister Mary to to help me. Don't leave me here alone. It was used for waiting on tables. The Lord expanded that use of the word, the the word diakoneo, to speak about service in, in general. In Luke chapter 22 and 27, he says, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. I am a servant. I, I'm the one who's diokoneo. Diokoneoing, if that's even a word, right? I'm doing, the, I'm doing the service. I'm doing the deacon service. I'm doing the table service. And it wasn't that Jesus was referring to, you know, serving plates to the disciples. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that my whole life is a life of service, that I'm serving you, that I'm humbling myself to serve your needs, that I'm, I'm teaching you, I'm training you, I'm leading you, I'm being patient with you when you don't get it. I'm answering your questions that you should have understood by now. I'm cleaning up after your messes when you fail to have faith and trust in me. You know, in Matthew 17, you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the demoniac was brought to, to the disciples and the disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus has to say, well, you, you can't, just how long am I going to put up with you? Bring him here to me. It's like, you know, clean up on aisle seven. You know, disciples made a mess. Jesus comes along and cleans up the mess. I, I, I'm coming to, to serve you, performing miracles to increase your faith, rescuing, rescuing you from the sea when you doubt, protecting you in the garden when you're frightened, praying for you when you don't even know that you should be praying for yourselves. And ultimately, Jesus served by even dying for their sins. That's how Jesus served. He gave his life up. He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. And Jesus used this as a metaphor for his entire life. My entire life is service. And he becomes the greatest example of serving one another. And following the example of our Lord, we're to consider ourselves as servants to one another, even here in this church. And what this passage teaches us is that we've been specifically supplied equipped, outfitted by the master to do all that he's asked us to do. You know, it's not like the, uh, the Egyptians who told the, the Hebrews to make bricks without straw. Jesus gives us everything that we need in order to do and accomplish what he's given us to do. So number one, you need to recognize your service as God's gift to you. I've been equipped, supplied with everything that I need. Verse 10, as each one has received, you've received a gift. Recognize your gift as God's gift to you. Your ability to serve others is God's gift to you. And this is not like some kind of stock gift that he just kind of pulls off the shelf. It's specifically designed for you, which is why in the, the NASB it says a special gift. That, that word special is not in the original, but it, it gets the idea that this is this is a unique gift that's for you, each one individually. It's the Greek word ekastos, which means each man, each one, personally. You have a, a personal gift with your name on it. It's thought about with you, you in mind. Later on, Peter will say that we're stewards of the, the manifold grace of, of God. It's, it's, it's many colored. It's, it's various. There's various ways that God has gifted his body. And you have a unique gift the word manifold means many colored, multiple colored. It, it's, it's, it's as if, you know, God has like a different shade 
for every individual. I've got a different, unique blending of gifts for you. Manifold, various. It's true in every listing of the the gifts. There's various gifts that are mentioned. And actually in every passage that refers to the spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, that all, none of the list is identical to the other, which basically lets us know that he's talking about categories of gifts that each one of us draws from. We, we draw from this category of gifts. I like to, to think of our, our gifts as like a, a unique blend from the master artist. You know, my, my daughter, uh, Cara, she spent a lot of her years in high school involved in, in fine arts and blending colors, you know, to make different shades and, and different colors. From, from just the, the, the primary color, she could come up with every color on the palette. And, and God is able to take his, mix his colors and give you just a unique blend that's just for you. Even the Apostle Paul, who's given the gift of apostleship, he says, my gift of apostleship is not like everybody else's gift of apostleship. He's specifically called the apostle of the Gentiles. Yes, I'm an apostle, but I have a unique blending of that apostolic gift. There's a specific ministry that the Lord has given to me. It's the same thing that it says over in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. Listen to this, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's something that you are to walk in that, that nobody else can do in the way that you do it. God has specifically equipped you to do what he's called you to do. There's no cookie cutter gifts here. Your gift is unique to you, handcrafted by God. And uh, we all have a contribution to make. Every, every one of us has a contribution to make to the body of Christ. You may need to figure out where you fit, but you do have a fit. Everybody has a place. And the question is, are you using the gift that God has given you? Or is your gift still in the box with the gift receipt in it? Are you unused like the, the coffee maker that sat waiting to be used? That's our goal as a church this year, to do what we can to equip the church, encourage the church to utilize what the Lord has given to each one of us. And I'm convinced that we have all kinds of wasted ministry potential in the church. Some of us may be sitting on our gifts because, you know, my gift is not what somebody else has, you know, and I really want that gift over there. So, you know, I'm not going to do what the Lord has actually given to me to do. Some of us may be trying to serve in an area that's not our our strength. Some of us may not know that as a church that we appreciate what you have to bring. It's like like if if your gift is is you know different from what other people's gifts are. No, we appreciate all that the Lord has granted to us as a body. We want to utilize everything that the Lord has given to us. Some of us may need to free up some more time in order to use our gifts because maybe we've maxed out our schedule so much that we don't even have the time to use the gift for the sake of the blessing of the the body. Some of us need to understand that our gifts may not all be used on a Sunday afternoon for two hours that we gather together. It's like, oh, if I can't sing and I'm not a preacher and, you know, I'm not teaching in that class over there, so I guess there's no place for me in the body. I I don't have any way to be used here. What in the world are you talking about? (laughs) We, we all have a way that we can contribute to the body of Christ. And it doesn't all have to be on the two hours when we gather together. I mean, how many members do we have here? How is everybody going to use their gift in that same space of time? We have gifts that should be used during the week, all throughout the week. That we should be using our gifts for the blessing and benefit of one another. 
You know, whether it's hospitality, administration, help, service. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can be using our gifts for the benefit and the blessing of the body. And some of us might just need a push, kind of being, being pointed in the right direction to say, hey, I think that you could be used over here. So all this to say, don't be surprised if you get a call or a text or a, an email saying like, hey, you know, we, we think that, you know, you might be really helpful over in this area because we want to use all the gifts that the Lord has given to us as a body. And I'm excited about what the Lord is going to do through our church, through the congregation. It's, it's through the body, the body being the body uh, that we're able to glorify God uh, together. And I pray that you recognize that whatever you have, it's a gift for the rest of us. So don't, don't keep your gift at home. You bring your gift here because your gift is for everybody else. Your, your gift is for the body. You need to recognize your gift is a service. God's gift uh, to you is a service to other, others. You also need to recognize that um, your service is, is God's gift for others. It's God's gift to you and it's God's gift to others. Whatever gifts we have, we're to employ it in serving one another. My gift is not meant to build me up. It's meant to build you up, right? If you remember, that was the problem in, in Corinth. The members began looking at their gifts as if it was just some kind of means to elevate themselves rather than to edify one another, which is completely contrary to the purpose of the gifts. You know, I, I don't bring my gift in here to show you how shiny it is. You know, I'm, I'm actually here to, to be a benefit to you, a blessing to you. Why don't you flip over to the first Corinthians real quick? I know the ladies just went through it yesterday, but this is a great reminder. First Corinthians. First Corinthians 12 to 14 speaks about the gifts, particularly speaks about the sign gifts in 12 to 14. And, uh, by the way, the, in the, in the, the list in 1 Corinthians is actually the only list that gives the, the charismatic gifts like tongues and interpretation of tongues, things like that, only mentioned in 1 Corinthians. But this is a discussion. We'll hold that off for, for a later time to talk about all the, all the gifts. But in between chapter 12 and 14, which speaks about the gifts, what, what, what lands in the middle? Chapter 13, the chapter on love. What, what is that to say? That if you have a gift, guess who it's not for? It's not primarily for your benefit. It's for you to, to love one another. It's for you to extend yourself. Even as we talked about earlier, straining myself to serve others. My gift is not for me. It's for the body of, of Christ. And look at what Paul says in chapter 14. How am I to use my, my gift? What's going on here? Look at what he says in chapter 14. Look at verse 6. He says, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? What, what, what sense does it make to come in here and kind of show you how shiny my gift is if it's not to profit you? It doesn't do you any good. I'm just in here trying to blab it and grab it. I'm not, I'm not actually profiting you with my gift. It's about edification. Look at chapter 14 and verse 17. He says, for you, all, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not what? He's not edified. He's not being encouraged. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than with 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because I want you to be edified. 
Again, the, 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 the sign gifts here were meant for the first century church, you know, before we had the completion of the, the scriptures. But in this case, the Corinthians were completely missing the point. You know, I've, I've got this gift, but my gift is not to show it off. If I have a gift, it's for the edification of the, the body. It's for the edification of the church. And if I'm not helping you, I need to keep quiet. Even a gift like teaching can be used for personal profit, personal benefit. If my purpose is to, to come in here and show off all that I've learned and, you know, all my Greek grammar and church history, but I'm not actually seeking to help anybody with it, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to look for every opportunity I can to show you what I know. I'm, I'm not doing that for the purpose of helping you. I'm using it to puff myself up. Knowledge puffs up, right? I'm, I'm not here to puff myself up. If I'm doing that, I'm like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, all knowledge. I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love. I am nothing. How, how many of us are really seeking to serve others, putting ourselves behind so that we can promote the health of the rest of the body? It's not about you. My, my service is not some kind of pedestal to prop myself up. It's a footstool to place myself beneath others. I'm here to be at your service and understand that the gift that's been given to, to me, the gift that's been given to you is for the rest of the body. We're to seek to, to build one another up and we all have a place. I've shared this before, but uh, there was a, a general named uh, General George Patton during uh, World War II. He was feared by one of the, the, the few uh, uh, commanders that was feared and admired by the German high command during World War II. He was feared by his own soldiers as well. Once there was a brave soldier who was uh, climbing up a, a telegraph pole in the midst of enemy fire, and Patton stopped and he asked him, hey, what are you doing up that pole? He says, fixing the wire, sir. And Patton says, isn't it a little unhealthy for you to be up there right now? It's like during enemy fire. He says, yes, sir, but this wire's got to be fixed. And Patton says, uh, don't the planes bombing the road bother you? And he says, no, sir, but you sure do. <laughs> He's more scared of the general than he was of the, the, the enemy fire. But in uh, 1944, uh, General Patton was given command of the 3rd United States Army. He had a task of preparing thousands of men for battle who'd never seen conflict before. And one of the ways that he prepared them was by a speech, simply known as the speech. And he says this, every single man in the army plays a vital role. Don't ever think that your job is unimportant. What if every truck driver decided they won't miss me, just one man in thousands? What if every man said that? Where would we be then? No, thank God we don't say that. Every man is important. The ordinance men are needed to supply the guns. The quartermaster is needed to bring up the food and clothes. Every last man in the mess hall, even the one who boils the water to keep us from getting the runs, has a job to do. Everybody's got a job. And each man must not think only of himself. And we are the army of God, right? Everybody cannot think about himself. You've got to be thinking about the others. What I do affects everybody. And what I don't do affects everybody, right? Can't just think about ourselves. We need to think about others. And finally, we need to recognize our service as a stewardship from God. He says, as God is good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And at the end of verse 10, whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. This is a stewardship that we have. 
It's, it's, it's something that doesn't belong to us. We've got to give an account for this. The word for, for steward is oikonomos, from two words, oikos, which means a house, and nemos, which means a, 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 to manage. It's a household manager, managing the property of another. Just like uh, Joseph, who didn't manage his own property, he managed Potiphar's property. It's, it's, I'm, I'm watching over that which does not belong to me, including your wife. You know, it does not belong to me. Off limits. In the same way, we need to understand that we have an accounting to give for the gifts that the Lord has placed in our care. And there's, there's two broad categories of, of gifts. Uh, there's the, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Literally, if, if anyone speaks, it's as a word of God. What Peter is saying is that if speaking is your service, if that's the, the kind of gifting you've been given, if that's how you've been gifted to, to bless the body of Christ, you're to do so as a word of God. The technical question that grammarians ask is, is this speaking the way that God would speak or speaking what God would speak? You know, am I to speak righteously, authoritatively, honestly, because that's the way that God speaks? Or am I to speak the content of what God speaks? And it's the latter. It's the content. What, what I speak is to be God's words. I'm not giving you my view. I'm giving you God's view. The context of Scripture in the objective sense. All flesh is like grass, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.24. All is glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. That's the word that we give. It's that word that helps us to grow. That's the word that we're to preach. And that's what we'll be held accountable for. Did you give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That should be true for us, whether we're speaking in this kind of context, you know, for the, for the Lord or in any context. Whether you're, you're discipling somebody, ministering to somebody, counseling somebody. You know, you're, if, if you're representing the Lord, you give the word of God. You know, you don't stand in that, that situation and give your own perspective, give your own opinion. As if it's the word of God, you give the word of God. Give the content of the word of God. If you're an evangelist, you don't come up with some kind of gimmicks and tricks to try to win people to Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I give you the word of God. That's what saves. I give you the truth. Are you a teacher? You speak that which is written. You don't deviate from what's written. You don't give people your theories and ideas, speculations. First Timothy 1.4, it says, pay no attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. We're not here to just, you know, wax eloquent on our opinions and what's possible and, you know, some kind of idea that we want to kind of uh, try to track down, controversial type of uh, you know, theories. That's not what we're here for. We're here to open up the Word of God and say, what thus saith the Lord? If you give exhortation, counsel, what kind of counsel do you give? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way uh, and the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the person who's blessed, the person who focuses attention on the word of God. So how are you speaking? Are you speaking the word of God? And how are you serving? How are you serving? If your gift is in the category of service, do you serve in your own strength? What does Peter say? Whoever serves is to do so, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. You're to serve in the, in the strength of the Lord, not in your own strength. That I rely upon the Lord. It should be obvious 
that, that who you're trusting in is not yourself. And who you give glory to is not yourself. You don't boast about what you do because the strength that came to do that was from the Lord, right? Look over to uh, Romans chapter 12 real quick. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 6. We'll start at verse 6. It says, Romans 12, I'll give you a chance to get there. Romans 12 and verse 6 gives us another listing of the spiritual gifts. But it also lets us know how these gifts are to be exercised. Look at verse 6. It says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil. To anyone, respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And my question for you is how in the world do you think you're going to accomplish any of that in your own strength. How, how can you accomplish any of that? Faithfully serving, liberally giving, diligently leading, cheerfully showing mercy. And then when people repay you evil for what you've done to them for good, you're not to seek to pay them back. How, how can you do that if you don't rely on the Lord's strength? We rely on the Lord to do this. There's a reason why Peter says we're to serve by the strength which he supplies. He's the one who gives us the strength. Back in uh, 1 Peter 4, that word for uh, supply, the word that he uses there for supply, it's, uh, it's from the, the Greek word korageo. And actually, our, our English word choreography comes from that word. It was originally used for a person who, who led a chorus, and then a person who financed a chorus, a production, somebody who supplied them with everything that they needed, you know, somebody who was going to be on a stage. You know, today we'd use the, the term of producer, you know, like for, for a movie, the person who supplies the, the, the financial means to, to, to put on the show. In the Greek world, that would have been the person who did this korageo. He, he was the, the person who supplied them. He was the supplier. He paid all the fees. He took care of the people who were involved. And who is the one who supplies us with everything that we need to do his service. It's the, the Lord that supplies us. He supplies you with everything that you need. His grace, his mercy, his strength. And he'll hold you accountable for what you do for his service. You, you don't need to bring your own props to his show, right? You know, you, you do with what, what I've supplied you with. That's, that's what you work with. And I thought it might be helpful as we're thinking about ministry and the ways that we can serve just to give you a brief overview of our, our ministry plan uh, for, for BBC. So again, just kind of as we enter into this, this new year, 
you know, just want to give you an overview of, of ministry at, at BBC. First of all, we've got the, the overarching goal of discipleship, okay? Overarching goal of discipleship. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Making disciples is the primary task that we've been given. And the way that we do that is through our corporate and gathered services. When we gather together, we accomplish that that goal. Because part of that goal is to teach you to obey all that Christ has commanded, right? So our Sunday services, we do that there. Sunday school classes, small groups, men's and women's ministries. That The goal is discipleship. You know, we're, we're thankful for uh, those classes that we have and the, the groups that are, that are meeting, that are gathering together for the purpose of discipleship. And uh, even this, uh, the before our service today, just thankful for so many of the, the people who showed up for our, our, uh, through the Bible uh, class. I, I think there were more people than seats. So uh, next week, we're actually going to have to go into the gym uh, to make sure that we can accommodate everybody. But, but the purpose is for discipleship, that I, I want to make sure that I'm understanding the, the scriptures. The goal is discipleship. And that also happens individually, you know, one-on-one discipleship, where the, the, the focus is on the, the character to teach you to obey all that Christ has commanded. And that's in the areas of individually, family, at church, at work, in the world. It covers all the primary areas of obedience to the Lord, focusing on on character. So first of all, we have this, this goal of discipleship, and that's, that's what I'd call level one. Everybody should be involved in discipleship. It's foundational for everything else that we do. Beyond that, disciples, uh, uh, those who are called to be disciples, are also called to be equipped to service, right? So we're all disciples. We're all to be making disciples. Level one, you know, membership, you know, those who gather together, those who become members of our, our church, everybody's involved in that discipleship. But then beyond that, beyond discipleship, is being equipped for the work of service. And this is what I'm calling level two. In Ephesians 4, uh, as we uh, read earlier for our scripture reading, he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We want all of our members to be equipped to understand the scriptures, to understand doctrine of scripture, to understand a biblical philosophy of ministry, uh, which just means uh, to know why you do what you do. And that happens, obviously, in our Sunday services, but also, uh, as we already mentioned, in Sunday school and Bible studies and seminars and conferences. And the focus is on content, on knowledge, on doctrine, which is exactly what uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, that we'd be no longer like children tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of doctrine uh, that were to be built up, speaking the truth and in, in love, were to grow up in all aspects. Uh, so this is being equipped for the work of, of service. I call that that level two. So you go from the discipleship uh, to uh, being equipped, equipped for service. Level three, I'd call this evaluating, evaluating your service. And this is where First Peter 4 is really helpful because it talks about these two categories. Speaking and serving, right? You've got the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And if it's primarily speaking, you know, maybe the way that you use your gift is uh, maybe it's in a small group. Maybe you assist with teaching a Sunday school class or maybe a Bible study or maybe after being faithful in a class for a, for a while, just as an example, 
and demonstrating a, a desire, you know, to, to kind of pursue a further study, you, you may be asked to, to fill in for a class. You know, maybe that'll happen. Or maybe it's in evangelism or leading a, a men's or, or women's ministry. There, there's all kinds of opportunities for those who prove themselves faithful. Or if it's primarily serving, you know, maybe your gift is more in the, the area of service. Uh, maybe it's uh, hospitality ministry or, or mercy ministries or benevolence or finances or administration or works of, of service. There's ways for you to serve. And that's actually a, an area that the, the deacons are going to be working on more this year. So if you, you're here and you're wondering, how can I serve? Go and talk to one of our deacons because that's one of the, the areas that they're giving oversight to, to, to help raise people up, uh, to evaluate people, to see how, how are you serving? How are you using your gifts? you know, to evaluate you for further service. And the, the focus here would be uh, competency. You know, where has the Lord gifted you? Where, where are you skilled at? Where, where, where do you need to be placed within the body of, of Christ? You know, so we, we move from, you know, this kind of a, an initial uh, discipleship, you know, commitment and discipleship. You know, we've moved to, uh, to the content, you know, more of the content, equipping. And then it's the competency, using the ways that you've been gifted. How has the Lord gifted you and how can I use that in the body of, of Christ. There's an evaluation of even your gifting. And then level four is what I'd call entrusting. Uh, for those who've proven themselves faithful, you know, that have a clear giftedness, the next step is, is entrusting ministry to them. And uh, I'll call that level four. You know, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And on the speaking side of the gifts, this is where things like the Shepherd's Institute comes in. You know, we have that a training on uh, Thursdays, you know, where we're joining with other churches to equip men for ministry. And, and maybe that's where that, that fits in. That fits in there. Shepherd's Institute, elder training, you know, for those who've already proven themselves faithful and uh, are actually using their gifts within the church, have proven themselves competent, that we'd ask them to, hey, maybe you might want to consider becoming an elder, you know, uh, to think about further training. And for some of us, that might even look like going to seminary. And this is where we'd get our elders, our church planners, our missionaries. That's where that comes from. Those who have been trained for service and trusted with ministering. And on the service side, you know, this looks like maybe counseling training or deacon training or specific ministry training. And this is where we'd get deacons, where we'd get ministry directors, where women's ministry leaders would come from. And the focus here is on a commitment, that I'm, I'm making this greater commitment and faithfulness. So this is the ways that the, the ministry should, should look. It looks like, like growing and expanding, you know, deepening in our, our focus and training. And the last stage is what I'm calling level five, and it's multiplication, multiplying. You know, now that we have ministers, you know, those who have been trained up are equipped for service, then what do you do with those people? You know, after they've been faithful, it's like you seek to multiply those people, right? Like, I don't just want to see the, the ministry here built up and we just add leaders on top of leaders, but eventually we want to see those leaders move out of the church. Maybe you, you're going to go be a church planner. Maybe you'd become a missionary. You know, maybe there's uh, other areas of, of service, uh, you know, maybe a, a parachurch uh, type of, of ministry where you can uh, grow the ministry, and as the word of God has had an effect on us, we want to have an effect on others. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. 
as the word of the Lord has an effect on us and on our church, we should have a desire that it would spread and be multiplied throughout our own community and then in the communities surrounding us. In Acts 12 and 24, it says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And if you've uh, ever heard of us talk about the, uh, the term, the, the gospel hub, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about multiplied ministries beyond the local church, you know, beyond just our church, that, the, that it would spill over into the community around us, maybe another church plant, uh, maybe other ministries that would, be, uh, that would grow out of that, and connecting our church to the broader community. And maybe there's members of our church who have that kind of desire, that I, I want to see ministry expand. You know, for, for those of us who are here, maybe, it's, maybe it starts out with a, a basketball ministry, but then it turns into a discipleship for young men. Maybe it's a sewing group that starts, uh, starts out as you know, women getting together, but then turns into discipleship of younger women. Maybe it's a, a job training center that, that helps people acquire marketable skills and work for the glory of God. Maybe it's some kind of food distribution center that meets real needs and shares the real hope of the gospel. Maybe there's a co-op that starts from our church that's connected to the church and trains the next generation. Maybe there's an after-school program that just, just doesn't watch you know, children after school but trains them in godliness. Maybe there's regular evangelistic Bible studies and, and outreaches. And hopefully you're not hearing that list and saying, man, Pastor George is going to be busy this next year. <laughs> my, my job, my role is to equip the church for the work of service, Right? This is, this is what it looks like if everybody gets involved. Here, here's what, here's what my, my dream is for Baltimore Bible Church. You want to know what my dream is for Baltimore Bible Church? That we would have, thank you, that we would have so many people ministering, so many people ministering that we wouldn't be able to house everybody in this church. That, that we'd have to start new ministries to make sure that people continue to stay busy that they're using their gifts, that it's spilling over into the community around us. There is so much that the Lord has given to us. And we all have a stewardship over what the Lord has given to us. And we don't have as long as you think to use those gifts. We need to make sure that we're hurrying up and getting to work. What what, what are you doing with your gift? It's, It's a gift that's been given to you. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has some kind of unique blend. There's something that you can offer that nobody else can offer. What are you doing with the resources that God has given you for the blessing and the benefit of the rest of the body of Christ and even those that would be outside of this local assembly? How how are you using those gifts? And hopefully what we're doing here as a church is we're equipping you and encouraging you to, to use those gifts for the glory of God. And then finally, do you recognize your service as glory to the Lord? Look back at 1 Peter 4. He says, so that, in the middle of the verse, so that, it's a purpose clause. Why do you speak the oracles of God? Why do you serve in the strength that God supplies? Here's why. So that, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If my words come from him and my strength comes from him, then all glory goes to him, right? The glory is to render esteem, to ascribe glory. It's, it's all about you. I, I, I didn't come up with these words on my own. These words came from you. This, it's the content of scripture that I gave. So you get the glory. I didn't serve in my own strength. This was the strength that you supplied me with. So who does the glory go to? The glory goes to you. 
It's, it's you that's glorified. We honor the Father by honoring the Son, and we honor the Son by honoring the Father. It's all intertwined here. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. It's all intertwined. As we bring this to a conclusion, it's important that you understand that the only way that you can bring glory to God is through Jesus Christ. It's through a relationship with him and receiving from him his gifts and using those gifts for the glory and honor of our great God. Glory comes to God through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, all of your good works are only piling up judgment for you on the last day because those works are not done for his glory. They're not done with his words. They're not done with his strength. They're done with with somebody else's glory in mind. It's done for yourself. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. The first step is, have I trusted in him? And have I received from him? And if you have believed, the Bible says that you've been given a gift. And that gift is not for you. And that gift is not given for you to keep the Keep it in the, in the box. Keep it in the bag with the receipt. We're to pull that gift out and use it while we still have the time, right? Because the day is drawing near. We have a stewardship to give to him on the last day, amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've had together. And Father, as we think about the, the gifts that have been given uh, to the church, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to think through the use of those gifts, God. Father, that we want to sit on the gifts that we've been given. Father, that we look to be equipped, that we would evaluate those gifts. Father, that we would uh, start to put those gifts into, into service. And, and then some of us, Lord, would even be entrusted, entrusted as, as leaders, Lord, and, and to, to continue to, to multiply and to spread out. And Father, that the gifts that have been given to us, Lord, that, that we would be so full, that we would be so active, Lord, that that our church can even contain all that's been given to us, that we would have to multiply, that we would have to seek other avenues to to use all the gifts that you've given to this church. Uh, So, Father, I pray that that would be uh, true of us, that all of us, all of it would be towards your glory alone, God, because it's not, not of us and it's not for us. It's for you and it's for the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.